0: Hello, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives, where today we're gonna be talking about crayfish and everything from A to Z about them. So stay tuned. (laughs) just living life man oh
1: i'm doing good i'm doing good a lot of um so i started a new job a lot of budgets Mm. got my big boy pants on in charge of some people but uh um we we have a lot of grants i'll just say that and um but i think i found it so it's like a puzzle basically i've been doing a puzzle i'm learning both a new job as well as um where our money comes from so um i need to make sure people get paid including myself
0: Yeah, that's important i I think we can all agree that's an important part of everyone's job is making sure you're getting paid for what you do yeah it's
1: like um and i bring that up not to delve too far in my um personal life but it's it's something like uh if you're in this field um research for example or like natural resource management there comes a point in people's career sometimes sometimes let me put a big old asterisk that where um to to manage a resource management facility or like a group, like you will have to start doing grants administration. Mm -hmm. Um, So I bring that up to say, maybe you're a PhD or a master's person. And you're like, Oh, what would be a good thing that uh, I could do for my career? And I'd say maybe a business course, you know what I'm saying? They have to have like a, or like a (laughs) nonprofit, grant management course um mm-hmm. like how yeah, do you no, abound- like what's a what's a budget like what's your liabilities what's your you know like uh yeah yeah
0: that is like what's yeah, a- it's like a lot of those practical like mm-hmm. day-to-day classes that they don't really teach you it's almost like I, I know that actually get off on a quick tangent there was one mm-hmm. state recently i don't know which one it was at all but they recently like changed their whole education system around like their curriculum where they're adding like a financial literacy course and things like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we can. Yeah, no. So like, yeah. Like what's, what's a profit loss statement?
1: What's a, what's reconciliation like it. And, and again, let me, it, it's dependent on what you want your, your uh, career to look like. Right. Mm-hmm. So some people like would not want to do this. I'm, somewhat financially like interested right Absolutely. like i like i like the finance stuff and like this is where i kind of thought my career was going so um uh, definitely for mm-hmm. people like me like i was like i should have um i should have took a took a job but that is to say like i i do enjoy it um yeah. and it's something you can learn on the job it's just that that transition mm-hmm. not to say i don't think i think i'm doing a good job knock on wood but um <laughs> i'm sure you're doing just, fine riley i just have like yeah, a i a, think a, a google i, I think <laughs> All these phrases I Googled, I was like, what <laughs> is this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, oh, well. I think it is, like, it is kind of frustrating. So, to like, to peel the curtain back real quick on being a graduate student, in most cases, I guess another asterisk there, that your the courses you can take as a graduate student are, so they say you can take everything, or you can take anything you want, but it has to be related or, like, remotely related to what your study subject is. So being that I study freshwater ecology, trying to justify why I want to take a business course would take some, I'm sure I could probably do it after a lot of convincing, but I also am not a hundred percent certain I could do it. So yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. No. It's just one of those things. That's a little frustrating at times.
1: Oh yeah. But we could go down the rabbit hole in this. So, um, yeah, grad school is a little interesting, right? You kind of have to get everything approved, which on one side, yeah, checks and balances. I totally understand. So, for example, mm-hmm. I had a heck of a time trying to get um, a natural resource policy class approved, okay? Mm-hmm. and That's like, why Why are you taking this? And I'm like, guess what? Like, so first job out of my doctorate, I've been working with the Clean Water Act every day type of situation. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, yep. It's, so it's... um yeah, I think making clear like what your, your goals are. So the goals of one individual might not be the goals of another. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, yeah. I mean, if you definitely know what you want to do, fight, fight for um, what you want to take and what you think will be useful, might not be useful, oh, yeah. but like, I mean, definitely um, I think that optionality is, should be provided to individuals. Um, oh, hundred percent. So yeah, if people you can email us if you, have questions <laughs> on grad school, <laughs> but um, it's it's so like it's we're it's we're in a different field, right? It's like um, mm-hmm. if you take a, I don't want to say, I mean, yeah, statements like this. It's just you you put yourself out there for having me like, oh, well, in my field, um, yeah. But like, so <laughs> I'm saying in my mind, like a business course, like business like degree, you're gonna have like you need to take all this, but like mm-hmm. like in a research type of thing, like it is definitely tailored in a certain way to like what you want kind of yeah like, i'll
0: say it like what your professor wants to really like yeah no 100 yeah. percent. like yeah. for context so riley and i so we're coming from the same university so riley graduated a couple of years ago so we're coming from the same lab same university we're gonna have the same exact degree but if you hold up our transcripts right next to each other we're gonna have oh I'd say at least half of our classes that are not like at all similar to each mm-hmm. other. Whereas yeah. if you took two business students, they're going to be almost exactly the same just cause it's, they're kind of tied to the curriculum. Yeah. So but... Matt said a little more eloquently than I did. Thank you, Matt.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. What a tangent. Yeah. We could go yeah. down this rabbit hole, but, um, definitely advice for, um, <laughs> individuals. Is, yeah. Um, and i i think they have this like a uh, or maybe it's like a class that could be made so like, um, like a I'm, like a almost like i'm good with yeah like a business
0: for science people Ooh. i don't know i do know at least here at auburn the library offers a grant writing course There you go. A workshop kind of thing, which is nice. It's like they do, they try to do a lot of, and and a lot of universities, I'm sure, do this as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of professional development, which is super important, of course. But yeah.
1: No, and definitely, I think those two are like the low hanging fruits of our Mm -hmm. industry. So it's like, like you're, you, even if you're in research, like you, you're going to have to write a grant at some point. You know what I'm saying? And within that comes, you know, what's, what's overhead? What's your, um indirect costs what's your pass through funds like all these fun little words that um <laughs> that people use but like so it's it is like even to like write a budget for your grant like research like it's definitely something to think about and then also i think it keeps you your research kind of grounded in that sense too like even oh yeah like oh like all these pipettes they cost money you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying which yeah <laughs> um so that's fun but um yeah. <laughs> grant writing um yeah grant systems is fun and then once you get a grant how do you keep track of it you know what i'm saying
0: oh yeah i didn't even think about that yeah <laughs> jeez
1: yeah like how do you keep track of people's time like so i i have had experience with this so i'm kind of mm-hmm. being a little like a uh, um <laughs> what's the word that's sarc- you're playing like coy sarcastic. there a little bit yeah, yeah a little coy. yeah but like or like yeah like ooh, like all these different things that you don't really definitely didn't take a class on it's something that like um i mean for lack of a better like term like that in some positions that's what pays your bills is like being able to handle that grant administration type of thing so um mm-hmm. definitely something to think about um yeah yeah isn't that fun Rock-
0: I, like, like we said, was not expecting to get off on that tangent. I, know, I was expecting to get off on this tangent. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Riley, because it is happening right now. Yeah. So over in Europe, there is, there is this drought that is still going on, unfortunately, over there. And because of this, this drought that like, keeps worsening. So a lot of France in particular is running out of water. And there's a lot of agriculture over there, of course. So the French government is trying to step in and it actually ties in sort of to a podcast we did earlier. And there's a um, article up on freshwater, uh, talking all about dams and how Europe is getting rid of a lot of their dams where other developing parts of the world are building a lot of dams. But the French government is looking to build a series of reservoirs to store water specifically for agriculture is their intent. And a lot of groups, a lot of activist groups and environmental groups in France are upset about this as they're seeing this as a, as a privatization of water to serve a select group of individuals. This is, by the way, this is an article uh, reported by the New York times that I would that I just read this morning. And so, I think it's that phrase where they're saying the privatization of water for a select few. But if we're talking about agriculture, it's kind of serving the greater good. Like it's this weird gray area, right? Where it's like what are the priorities when it comes to water and who the oh. water should go to, you know? Oh gosh, mad. You really Yeah, we're treading into into different kinds of waters here, huh?
1: No, this is this is good. That's um Yeah. Again, Matt and I don't necessarily tell each other what we're going to be <laughs> talking
0: about. Oh, this has nothing uh, to do with what I'm talking about later. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> but... I, so I ha- I have not seen this, and I'm kind of... Okay. So that came out what, today, you said?
0: It was... I read it this morning. I will pull it up again. I believe it came out... It was in the past couple hours here. Or not couple hours, sorry. Past couple days. Um, I will forward the article to you. Yeah, for yeah. After no, no, that's good. Because
1: uh, I literally, like four days ago, Google drought to like, look for the next thing I'm going to write mm-hmm. about or something. Mm-hmm. And that didn't come up. So I was like, what? Um, but anyways, um, <laughs> yeah. So I have not heard about this. That's a tough one, man. And I this know. goes back to this whole, like, Oh, like in a lot of these situations, there is no right answer. In natural resources. Just mm-hmm. What, what serves the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can get a lot of people angry and rightly so. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, Dams is such a huge one. I mean, That's we talked about it too. So it's like,
0: too. yeah, it's, it's not like we're just talking about, there's a bunch of drinking water or potential drinking water, just like in this area, like say you have giant tanks. Right. And you're like, all right, yeah, this water can go for drinking water or it can go for agriculture. Who should it go to? It's not just that it's like, Hey, we also want to build a ton of dams. And we know we talked about this already, yeah. all the different issues and potential issues, but potential positives that can come from constructing dams.
1: Yeah, just to recap on that, yeah, it was definitely like um, messes with, um, you know, the the aquatic ecology of an area, uh, like mm-hmm. fist passes, for example. You might have a reservoir that, you know, you're going to lose land for now. It's going to be underwater. On the flip mm-hmm. side, um, the big one for dams I always think of is like is, is runoff protection. Yes. Like there's a reason yeah. why you have all these series of dams, and it's like, yeah, because it prevents like huge floods from happening. It's like a big reservoir for agriculture. I immediately think of – um evaporation
0: yeah which,
1: you know because mm-hmm. it's like i think in california that was like so there was some this is a while back where i remember like seeing like they had black balls on the yes. top to prevent mm-hmm. prevent evaporation so i'm like, yeah france to my knowledge is not a desert like california so mm-hmm. like the evaporation rate might not this is, we're getting in the weeds like might not mm-hmm. be as much but <laughs> like i know anything about evaporation anyways but um so <laughs> talking off the cuff but mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it, any way you slice it, agriculture requires water, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder, it would be interesting to see their plans. Um, and then, yeah, like, is there is there a way to do it better? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um,
0: yeah, as as far as I know, this is still kind of in the infancy and in, like, the proposal, so no ground has been broken, of course. it's I I think it's the government's like, well, we see a problem. This is the most obvious solution like we need water we need to store water the easiest way to store water is reservoirs right so we're going to build a bunch of reservoirs
1: yeah i think the only quote-unquote sophisticated thing i can say is yeah like it's what what serves the greater good Mm -hmm. like at some point like that's that's like the the cost benefit analysis you have to do Mm -hmm. um is hmm, so maybe maybe
0: they've done it right yeah for our listeners i will do more digging and I will try to look up exactly you know where they're trying to put these, if there's been like how many. Because I didn't I didn't look that hard. I just downtown was Paris. doing a little bit of headline <laughs> surfing. Yeah. I was <laughs> I was doing a little, little bit of headline surfing and then I was you know, this one stuck out and I was kind of skimming it this morning. Um but yeah. Yeah. I will I will look more into that for, for a future episode. But well enough of that. Yeah. Um I'm sorry, did you have any, any other words, Riley?
1: Oh, I was just gonna say. Um, on a lighter note, depending on when this comes out, I can. I'm going to, to France, so I will be able to confirm oh. or deny what Matt's saying. I'll ask about the water. Um,
0: yes, please. When do. I'm having
1: a baguette, <laughs> like, is it? Did you get enough water for this? Like, how's this going? <laughs>
0: Yes, please make sure to ask. Please make sure to talk and speak in French, and ask them in your perfect in your perfect French um, all about the reservoirs that they're proposing to build. As Riley shaking his head at me, saying Be he like, does not know. How
1: to speak. No, I don't know. It's Latin base, right? Isn't French Latin base?
0: Do not look at me. I took Spanish in high school, not French. Same,
1: same, same, same. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Not gonna, you ready? You to yeah. talk about crawfish? Let me let me talk about crawfish. Just okay, kidding. I'm ready.
0: <laughs> okay so i'm guessing you you mean you've lived in the south Riley? Really, so you, you've had crawfish before yes yes i have yep okay um, you took and, you uh, took a second because i was think like
1: think about I, that it's like have i only had sh- i mean they're not the same thing but like shrimp and then i was like where, where would i have a crop craw- and i was like uh i've had crawfish what is it called etouffee, etouffee? yes crawfish etouffee yes yeah yep,
0: that's it okay. yep, yep, yep good so i have they're, yeah so they are very yummy um for those we who have not had crawfish, please come down south and have some crawfish. They're they're little tiny freshwater lobsters, essentially. We're going to talk all about them in this episode. Okay, and I mean we're going to be covering everything from basic ecology in the wild to how they are farmed, how they end up on your plate. Uh, I watched a lot of YouTube videos on how people crawfish farm and i wouldn't mind doing this as a retirement plan but if you are a crawfish farmer please reach out because i would love to go visit a crawfish farm one day so uh you may have heard me say a crawfish or crayfish earlier also in this episode and just to clarify you'll hear most research-based people use the word crayfish that's like the technical research term where crawfish is the term used by pretty much everyone else (laughs) and there's also a ton of other terms that people call crawfish, including crawdads, <laughs> crawdads mudbugs, <laughs> baybugs, <laughs> mountain lobsters, rock lobsters, Stop freshwater it. lobsters, and yabbies. I've never heard yabbies. I've never heard that of is, yabbies. That, that was one of the words that, that popped up when I was looking up. Uh,
1: that sounds you know, straight straight Louisiana and, you know what I'm saying, yabbies. like the yeah, bayou. Want
0: mm-hmm. some yabbies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to get all the sciencey stuff out of the way real quick, so the study of crawfish is called astecology. Did you know that? Stop Molly? it! No, come astecology. on. There is an entire field de- just uh, just for to crawfish? crawfish. Yep, just for crawfish. Do you know why? Because the the industry. It's not really just the industry. Well, it's mainly because there's over 640 species of crawfish around the world. Stop. Yeah, no. and they're in. Two main hotspots that have most of that diversity, which is Southern Australia, which has over 100 species, and the Southeastern U.S., which has over 330 species.
1: Oh, the good old
0: Southeast oh, U.S. Yeah.
1: 330 yep. species. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So,
0: Astecology? Astecology. That's right. A-S-T-A and then ecology. cology. C-O-L-O-G-Y. Okay. so these 640 crawfish are separated into two super families which are astacidae which includes all crawfish in the northern hemisphere and peristacidae which is all crawfish in the southern hemisphere so that's how they separate them i'm not a taxonomist don't ask me why and just another little fun fact uh crawfish come in all different shapes and sizes including greens blues reds all different combinations they can be really pretty uh, for being little crustaceans and although little little sad fact to kind of go with this so although u.s has a great diversity of, of crawfish many of these are in trouble with about 48 percent of native north american crawfish listed as either vulnerable endangered or critically endangered and this is mostly because crawfish are sensitive to environmental pollution of fresh waters which is attributed as the as the main cause of, of their decline here in the states not a huge surprise, I guess, right? That's that's most aquatic species in the U.S.? Yeah. So, yeah, 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 unfortunately. Yeah. So there are also several different invasive crawfish that have been introduced to the U.S., including the Australian red claw crayfish and the rusty crayfish. Uh, invasive crayfish can cause massive issues in swampy areas in particular by clearing out the native vegetation, uh, which can be habitat for other species and thus completely changing the composition of the ecosystem so i didn't really think of invasive crayfish as a crawfish as an issue i know there's a lab here on campus that does a lot of crawfish work and they always talked about i think it was the red call or the rusty crayfish i can't remember which one They always talked about and like oh if you see them, kill them. and i'm like i don't know why they're just little crawfish how much harm can they do but apparently they can do a lot of harm
1: yeah it's a I know rusty crayfish up here is pretty big. Um, and yeah, then... I
0: saw some st- when I yeah when I googled rusty crayfish. They talked about them in Indiana, which is I, I didn't think about crayfish or crawfish up in Indiana.
1: Yeah, and I know. Is it big red swamp crayfish, or is that the red claw? Red claw, the big red one is the big one so too. So
0: red red swamp red swamp crayfish are a thing. Yeah, I don't know if they're invasive or not. I thought they. It's a good question. I'm gonna Google it. Okay, you Google it real quick.
1: Maybe maybe non native.
0: Maybe. But when I was looking up invasive, I guess maybe that's the maybe it's because the term I used invasive. It was red claw and rusty were the two big ones that popped up.
1: The Department of Oregon Fish and Wildlife, uh red swamp crayfish is the most invasive crayfish in the world. Oof. Oh, okay that's a, that's a
0: bold statement for a state wow. agency all right well it looks like i missed the red swamp uh crayfish so thanks riley thanks for undermining um, my entire piece here
1: yeah sorry <laughs> well at some point it's like semantics right but like yeah, I, yeah, yeah yeah it's like i got caught in this for my masters like invasive versus non-native right mm-hmm. so and i mean it's what's to say yeah i mean there, i'm sure there's a science definition that i forgot about but like non-native it's like it's just a matter of like your geography right you know so like... i
0: thought non-native was that it didn't do like what was deemed significant harm again in air quotes like i don't know what you deem significant harm like financially or like environmentally whereas invasive does have some sort of yes. value to the amount yes. of harm it does no you're right but um
1: anyways i think red swamp is the one that tastes good <laughs> <laughs> the big old louisa louisiana crawfish i see it
0: mm-hmm. yum yum that's right um but yeah so invasive cray- crawfish can be can are, are an issue although maybe not at the top of everyone's list but another little fun fact riley do you know what the largest species of crawfish in the world is
1: oh gosh
0: the red uh, the, the main lobster no um you're no gonna, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna guess it um it's the giant, it's the Tasmanian giant freshwater crayfish. Um, Tasmanian? Can you guess how, yeah. Can you What's guess Tasmania? How, how much they weigh on average? Weigh <laughs> <Way>, who? <laughs> yeah. Three pounds. Oh, it's much more than you think. Stop it.
1: Five pounds. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. No, going, man. no, 10 pounds.
0: <laughs> so, do can even reach months. lengths up to 30. <laughs> they can reach lengths up to 31 inches and weigh up to 13 pounds stop that could feed mm-hmm. like a whole family oh yeah it, it it really gives credence to the freshwater lobster name you know when you think of it like that do people eat it? So, I didn't look that far into it but I I imagine I don't see why not unless oh. they taste bad because of what they're eating but I don't see why not not know yeah
1: why are why are these little animals so delicious um
0: <laughs> are you looking up the giant it. freshwater crayfish right tasmanian now? crayfish yeah tasmanian giant freshwater crayfish astacopsis goldeye oh my
1: gosh i want to say food no recipe recipe <laughs> <laughs> ah! pop up roasted Tasmanian crayfish (laughs) 39 2.7 stars people really don't like this (laughs) recipe oh
0: man stop it I would like to say this is this is a much better note than our last podcast for our listeners who missed it Riley was was really talking about lead poisoning in Flint Michigan so I'm glad we got this on a higher note this week
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tasmanian pepperberry butter recipe. Oh, pepperberry really, butter recipe. That sounds really good. Oh, Gordon Ramsay got to it. Explore Tasmania yeah. with Gordon. There you go. He's been everywhere. Stop it. Yeah. I would love to see him yeah. wrestle one of these things. I'd like to go to Tasmania. It's just it's, it's the amount of like oddities, right? Like not
0: oddities, it's mm-hmm. just
1: like, yeah. There's so many interesting things.
0: Yeah, fascinating wildlife for sure.
1: But, isn't, getting no, back to mind. wild to, crawfish
0: anyway. Riley yeah sorry <laughs> uh, so wild crawfish can be found in all sorts of habitats from flowing freshwater streams which is where I saw most of them growing up flipping over rocks of course growing up in, in my grandmother's backyard in the little stream she had flowing back through there but they can also be found in all sorts of still water from swamps dish- uh, ditches and flooded fields. With a handful of species also residing in brackish or salt water which was interesting to me because i thought the only distinction between lobsters and crayfish was where they lived but that is not true
1: hmm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, i don't know i'm sure there's like yeah. an antenna somewhere that someone found you know like when they're doing the um, taxonomy
0: yeah, taxonomy is over my head, so I try not yeah, to no. delve too deep into that. I do know like, that crawfish, now this probably isn't too surprising, but crawfish and lobsters are very closely related if you're looking on the taxonomic tree. Again, not a huge surprise, <laughs> but okay, they did split. Um, but so as far as their, their life history strategy, crawfish are opportunists. They frequently feed on plants, insects, invertebrates, and dead or uh, deco... Uh, dead or decomposing material they typically serve quote, Crawfish serve as opportunists that frequently feed on plants insects invertebrates and in dead or decomposing material they frequently serve this interesting role as sort of predators prey and decomposers so they're they're really important and i think we talked about keystone species in another episode but in case anyone is unfamiliar with what a keystone species is keystone species are considered ones that are if removed, the ecosystem would drastically change, or my preferred definition, which is that of Mr. Robert Payne, is a species that has disproportionately large effect on its ecosystem relative to its abundance. So, yeah, if you talk to an astecologist, Riley, they're going to tell you that crawfish are very important, and that's why they need to be studied.
1: Do you think I'd like an astecologist meeting? Like, you best be
0: sure we're having crawfish. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> well, so. Is it okay to eat to eat your study organism, like, or like, is, you know, yeah. you think? Think okay. about like the the Tyson chicken conference. You, uh, you, you don't think they're having chicken? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Another little fun fact: I almost joined a crawfish lab when I was applying for grad school. Did you? I did. I was <sighs> very close. We have been two ships passing in the night. I know this would have never happened, Riley. Really. I but... all well,
1: there was also one that I applied to it was about. Um, invasive um, crayfish as well. Crawfish,
0: oh, look at that. Well, maybe we would have met it at one of those crawfish conferences, man. Um, uh,
1: <laughs> have you hugged yeah. an astecologist today?
0: <laughs> That's just <is> Matt, or <laughs> <laughs> what well, could have been? Um, that never was, but crayfish, uh, crawfish lifespan they can range from one up to one, so from one up to 40 years, depending on their species, of course. They can reach sexual maturity anywhere from a few months to a few years. It can forty years. Oh yeah, like that Tasmanian, the giant Tasmanian crawfish. I think they can live up to forty years if I've read that correctly. I, that's so crazy. Like yeah, well I get. If you think of them like lobsters, lobsters. Someone correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but theoretically, lobsters can live like immortal isn't the word but they can live indefinitely the only thing so the only thing that yeah well the only thing that prevents them from like living forever is that like their shell gets too heavy for them to like molt out of so they kind of just get like trapped in their own shell and they can't molt anymore
1: what I did not know this yeah
0: yep yep yep
1: Uh, we needed this light and one from last week so this is good yeah this Um, is nice so that's just so interesting because like i get clams because they're like sedentary but like i mm-hmm. have 30 years being mm-hmm. that that's crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> <Being> that <laughs> what does that mean I, you, you spent 30 years being you they're not apex predators you know what i'm saying like the amount of well like,
0: it depends in some systems oh, they shit, are I've, no, see there's they're, always an and... exception <laughs> yeah, in some systems, and in a lot of systems, they're the largest invertebrate in the ecosystem. If you think I mean, I of guess the swampy if, bogs.
1: If you're 13 pounds, a 13-pound yeah. crustacean, well, holy moly. The,
0: the the giant Tasmanian crayfish aside, in a lot of aquatic systems, they're the, they the largest invertebrate.
1: How do you think a 30-year-old lobster would taste, or a 30-year-old um, crayfish?
0: Uh, probably not great. Because, at least in my experience, the, think the bigger the fish, the worse it tastes. Oh my gosh. Because it's um, just spent longer in the environment to soak up all the nasty stuff that's in the water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, sorry. Side uh, tangent. No, nah, you're <laughs> right. I like it. So, <laughs> uh, crawfish typically mate in the fall. The females keep the eggs underneath their tails. And then the tail the eggs hatch in five to eight weeks. The hatched larvae will then spend a couple weeks with the mother, just kind of hanging out on or around her. And then they're just off on their own to be tiny little crayfish and grow up to be up to, you know, 13-pound giant Tasmanian crayfish. Um, So the last little bit on ecology is that many crayfish species can construct their own burrows as a means of hiding from predators. Some of these burrows are pretty simple tunnels or they're just grooves in the substrate for the crawfish. So that way the crawfish can just squeeze underneath rocks, which is why if you flip a bunch of rocks, most of the time you're going to find a crawfish one way or another. Other burrows are much more elaborate and they, evolve, they involve a chimney-like structure that juts out of the sediment or stream bank by several inches up to a foot. And they can include multiple chambers. These burrows can extend over a foot into the stream bank, so that way the crawfish can reach water table as all crawfish breathe through their gills, so that way they need water to breathe.
1: I remember chimneys down south. I remember the chimneys. I thought there were snake holes the first time I saw them. Nope. Yeah, Yeah. the
0: the crawfish just trying to hang out, so that's that's in case you're wondering, you know, what happens if a swamp, especially in these swampy systems, or if a stream... Uh, runs dry if it's an intermittent stream. They'll actually just burrow down, and then they just hang out until the water returns. So pretty, pretty hardy critters these little guys. Hmm. But well, fun. That's most. Yeah, that's that's most of the ecology and like the boring sciencey stuff that I had, and now I get to focus on the more nitty gritty, which is crawfish aquaculture or crawfish farming. I guess depending on who you who you ask, I think crawfish farming is probably the better, the the more. Kind of widely used term, but some quick numbers to start some stuff out, because we love numbers in this podcast, is that Louisiana is the world's largest producer of crawfish. If I read the numbers correctly, they produce 95% of the U.S.'s crawfish alone, and crawfish in Louisiana have been harvested since the late 1800s. 1800s?
1: Mm-hmm. That's Crazy.
0: Yeah, they've been yummy for a long time, really. So can't blame right them. <laughs> now, other states that contribute to the commercial crawfish supply include, in no particular order, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Missouri, Florida, both Carolinas, and even California, which I didn't know. Didn't think California was going to get on a, get in on it, but they are. Now, like California. I said, yeah, isn't that interesting? I didn't look up like... anything. Yeah. I did no homework on California's crawfish farming. Most of what I'm going to be talking about today, or actually all of it, is based off of resources I found in Louisiana because they are the kings of it. So, like the swamps
1: a... of California has never kind of like ran across my mind.
0: No, well, we'll talk about why you don't necessarily need a swamp to farm yeah. crawfish, Riley. Silly Riley. Okay, sorry. Now, <laughs> like I said, uh, Louisiana leads the world in crawfish production. With over a thousand licensed fishermen and 1,300 farmers supplying up to 120 million pounds of crawfish per year, which contributes more than $300 million to the Louisiana economy. Yes, I love the numbers. Mm hmm. Love numbers. 20, so, wait, 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 how many million pounds of produced? 120 million pounds of crawfish per year. And that's just the state of Louisiana. 120 million. What? hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. now there are several ways so we're going to start with like fishing because there are uh, people that do fish for crawfish on like a relatively commercial scale depending on what you call commercial but they will fish for crawfish and then kind of sell it to local markets so there are different ways to fish for a wild crawfish or if you're actually just interested in looking for crawfish I guess so the simplest way I guess to do it is just to flip rocks grab with your bare hands or, or with a dip net so that that'll work but as you can imagine, it won't really yield very many. And it's it's mostly just a way, a thing that people do to catch crawfish as a bait rather than for dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, other more effective methods includes seining a river, uh, but that includes at least three people, right? So you need two people to hold the seine and then one person to kick. And then a lot of people just end up using beta traps because that makes the most sense, right? Sure. At the end of the day. So, And although crawfish have been harvested since the late 1800s, It wasn't until around 1940 that aquaculture techniques became viable. This is because crawfish don't really take well to artificial feeds, and the amount of feed needed just isn't really practical financially. However, in the 1940s, rice farmers developed a method to farm crawfish in conjunction with rice, which is a pretty great win-win. And today, about 50% of Louisiana-grown crawfish are from farms growing crawfish in rice paddies. Say that one more time. 54%? About 50% of Louisiana grown Crazy. Yeah. I mean, you got your protein it's and also, your carb- carbohydrates, so you're basically... Yeah, it's also, like, it's, kind of, it's also kind of cool because if you think of Southern cuisine, uh, one big staple is, of course, rice. So, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, it's just funny how that all kind of comes full circle like that. You essentially have crawfish etouffee right there in one field.
1: Yeah, there you go. I mean, what else? What other do you got? <laughs> you, need, you need some okra... Um, celery, mm-hmm. you, need, you need to make your roux.
0: If i right? what's the trinity? Yeah, your, um, your holy trinity and the pope.
1: Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Then you got to find a, a oh. hog farmer to trade with to get your uh and sausage,
0: and then mm-hmm. yeah, local. Yeah, you're, you're you got you got most of the components there. Yep, but four years the south. production of rice. <laughs> <laughs> So the production of rice and crawfish actually works rather seamlessly. So most commercial fields are between 10 and 40 acres in area, which is pretty big. Um, but, you know, just if you think of a typical agricultural field, that's kind of right on par, but it's actually kind of on the smaller side. We're thinking of an uh, agricultural setup. Rice and crawfish both need clay soils, which is why most, if not all, of this is happening in the southeastern U.S. As clay soils hold water really well and it's really easy for the crawfish to burrow through. And if I really had to sum up the basic requirements for a rice slash crawfish farming setup, it would be clay soils, number one, a reliable water source, number two. Uh, Number three would be levees that can store water. Number four would be flat, even ground, of course. That's just simple agriculture. And five, some sort of system to drain the fields completely. And we're gonna go over this right now so while the rice is actually growing the field is flooded and this stage is referred to as the canopy stage so this is where in the rice plant is kind of, kind of this green tops so it doesn't really look like a grain or anything yet and once the rice reaches this canopy stage juvenile crawfish can be spread out into the field and the rice canopy provides protection from the for the crawfish from predators and it also shields the water from getting too warm and shocking the crawfish so again it kind of works as like a it's kind of a win-win at that point and mm-hmm. once the crawfish has grown out of the uh sorry once the rice has grown out of the canopy stage and is ready to harvest after about a year uh while the rice is being harvested the field is drained completely so again that's when you need to be able to drain the fields completely uh the crawfish can burrow down to stay moist So that way you're not crushing all of your crawfish when you're harvesting your rice. But once all the rice is harvested, the field is flooded again up to about two feet. And then the crawfish are harvested by baited traps. And then once they're all the, as many crawfishes as you can collect are collected in the traps, they're then sorted from market-sized and they're separated from that market-sized to undersized individuals. And in that market size, there's, I think, two classifications, which is medium-large to, like, large size. Jumbo craws. I love Mm -hmm. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the crawfish that don't meet that market size, they're sorted separately, as I just said, and they're dispersed into a different field. So there's that kind of rotation that happens Mm -hmm. over time, right? Yep. So this setup ensures that the farmers have continual harvest of crawfish every year, and it doesn't really impact the rice production at all. Again, it's a real win-win at that point. It also utilizes the natural food sources along with the natural reproduction of the crawfish. Uh, This process can vary, of course, from farm to farm, but this was the method that I found that is being used by most bigger commercial setups in Louisiana. And as far as timelines for this process, the most important thing that I could find mentioned that the fields need to be flooded during the fall. So that way the females deposit their eggs. If the, if the field isn't flooded in time, uh, you can experience very high mortality as the females just won't leave their burrows. So that way they can't feed and they're not, you know, they're not keeping themselves up to weight. And then also, um, the, the juveniles can't eat either. So you're just going to have massive die off. So trapping of your grown out crawfish can begin around November and that continue that can continue up until April in some cases because trapper trapping is so labor intensive the manpower and the bait involved are usually the greatest expenses in crawfish farming which are which you know at the end of the day that's not that bad you're just paying a bunch of people to go out and harvest uh, harvest crawfish And the reason that some sort of machinery isn't employed is mainly because it would tear up the field too much and mean that the field would need to be repaired in order to be used again for rice. Does that make sense? Hmm. So they do use machinery to harvest the rice, but if you would actually want to use some sort of machinery to get the crawfish, you'd have to use almost like a dredger, and that would just tear up the the substrate too much from what I was reading. What if they could
1: like have like they probably do like traps, you know what I'm saying? To like reduce people like. Searching. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Did I not, yeah.
0: did I not say traps? I thought I said they oh, traps. Oh, you traps. probably did. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they use, they, they just use traps. And, and if you're wondering where the best place to put your. <laughs> I thought there really right. right. like, was people like, is there one over attention? here? I'm like... <laughs> yeah. I did wonder that too. When they were talking about harvesting, I'm like, how in the world are you getting all these little buggers? Especially when they they're a just like yeah, poking with the stick. So they're using Yes. <laughs> <laughs> found one, uh, but yes. So you can see the beta traps, <laughs> and if you come to Hey-o! the crawfish farm, <laughs> hold it.
1: <laughs> if you Matt and I, we can have fun doing farm, this. <laughs> <laughs> <hoo-wah>!
0: <laughs> we don't have much left, Riley. Don't worry. <laughs> Look at the claws on that one. <laughs> if you were, if you were to go out to a crawfish farm while they're harvesting you will not see a field just absolutely covered in traps they're mostly going to be towards the edges of the levees and for some reason that's just where most of the crawfish hang out Uh, Hmm. um that's at least what i read in all the videos that i watched that's what they all kept saying is that yeah in theory you could blanket the pond with traps but then you're just checking more empty traps um hmm. and you're just wasting a bunch of bait so yeah i wonder around the, like around if, they're the on, if they're on the
1: edges does an individual like checking the traps even have to get in or can they just like hook it out from the side it wasn't that
0: close it was mm-hmm. like okay i don't know roughly like 10 to 15 yards within the pond that's so a decent like you know close yeah. closer to the edge than to the middle how about that okay yeah um but as you're probably wondering and a lot of people assume this as well Uh, This strategy could be kind of counterproductive as the crawfish will obviously just eat all the rice, right? Because you're putting crawfish in, they like eating plants why would not they just eat all the rice that's growing right there? However, Mm -hmm. they mostly eat the decaying rice from the previous year, along with all sorts of snails and other invertebrates that come to the field after you flood it. So there is, I'm sure, some rice, some growing rice that's lost but it doesn't seem to be enough to stop them from using this technique. Hmm okay yeah but with yeah but with that i mean that's pretty much all i that's all i got for y'all today um again we covered most of crawfish ecology we talked about what an ecologist is we talked about the biggest crayfish uh in the world we talked about all sorts of ways to catch crawfish we talked about my future retirement plan which will be crawfish farming along with rice farming so uh that's pretty much all I got, Raleigh. Really. What do you think? Yeah.
1: I think I remember back at Auburn them talking about like um for, for catfish farming, having duo combination of
0: crawfish and catfish. Was I wrong on this? Did you see anything about that? I don't remember anything. So I do know that whenever we would drain the catfish ponds, yeah. you would see crawfish everywhere. So yeah, no. they just kind of get in there. So, like
1: yeah for everybody listening when we talk about um people going and searching for ponds for things that was us for a couple of years so yeah. um that oh yeah potentially still i don't know what you guys did with those ponds but um
0: um yeah right now they're they're being <laughs> right now they're being renovated i think they're combining like so there's 24 tenth acre ponds and i think the plan yeah. is to combine them into 12 two tenths of an acre pond hmm ponds yeah i think that's the Those plan need right to be now. renovated but
1: uh yeah anyways oh, yeah. that's an aside um <laughs> <laughs> but
0: if okay. anyone out there still listening and you're interested in reading more about this uh head on over to our website which is fishwaterandtravel.com where we have all different sorts of similar articles and everything related to fish ecology what freshwater ecology um all different sorts of topics we are also on facebook and instagram so feel free to head over there and with that rally i think we're gonna wrap this one up so i will see you next week
1: all right see you man